Our God is a missionary God, and we are His missionary people. You're listening to The Scent Life, the official podcast of the Center for Great Commission Studies at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. The least reached peoples are now in arm's reach of your local church. So the question is, what are you going to do about it? Hello, and thanks for joining us today on The Scent Life. My name is Keelan Cook, and uh, Scott is unfortunately not able to be here with us today. Eventually, you'll have us both back uh, doing this together with you. But for this week, I am joined by Dr. Anna Dobb here on faculty at Southeastern. Anna, how you doing? Doing well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Uh, in fact, I'm really glad we're getting to talk about what we're getting to talk about today. So if you've been following us here at uh, Southeastern for the last couple of weeks, you'll know that we just had our spring break. And over spring break, we at Southeastern tend to send several mission trips out uh, kind of across North America, usually, over a spring break. Uh, we do most of our international trips over the summer, of course, because they're longer. But we'll, we'll go to a bunch of different places and send students out to be engaged in, in missions and evangelism, uh, kind of as a practical experience over their, their spring break. Well, one of those trips uh, I led to a place many of you may have never heard of uh, called Clarkston, Georgia. Now, Clarkston is a little suburb of the uh, of Atlanta. So it sits there in the Atlanta metro area and Clarkston has been referred to as the most diverse square mile in the United States of America. Now, Clarkston is that because uh, of refugee resettlement. So what we did is we took a group of students down there, uh, the North American Mission Board, Send Relief has a ministry center there in Clarkston, Georgia, and our group engaged in uh, ministry and missions to, to refugees in the area. Clarkston, as a city, is about 70 to 75 percent foreign-born. Uh, many of those people coming from some of the places that we consider, you know, 1040 window, unreached area, and uh, we engaged in this task of cross-cultural evangelism here right in the United States. And what we wanted to do with that trip uh, is essentially what I want us to do with this podcast, and that is kind of raise awareness, raise the flag on the fact that uh, we're now living really in a new era for engaging in missions. Uh, So the fancy term for this is called diaspora missions. Uh, That's that's kind of one of those, you know, 10 cent theological words for you there, but we're going to unpack that idea a bit, and then we're going to talk about why that matters for your local church today. Uh, Probably the place for us to start, Anna, would you like to unpack this idea of diaspora missions and us take a run at it from there? I mean, Keelan, you're the expert on diaspora missions, so I probably should punt that right back to you, but if you actually want me to take a stab, I can. Do so, please. Okay, great. So diaspora missions would be considered the, or the the diaspora is, is the idea of the scattering. Right. And uh, most of the time when we think about diaspora work, we're thinking of people who have moved from where they were born um, or, or are, have a family that's moved from where they were born, um, which you can correct me on that if you want no, to. No, no, but, right on. Uh, <laughs> and, and basically they're, they're located in a different place than wh- where they would consider their families from. Yeah, that's, so that's exactly right. So the real, the real simple idea here is people who live somewhere where they weren't born, right? Like yep. that's essentially the, the situation that we get into in diaspora missions. Of course, the term diaspora is a Bible word. 
Uh, we, we get that idea in the scriptures. You, you hear about the Jewish diaspora and how they were kind of scattered all over the Mediterranean, and some of Paul's work was engaging from city to city, and he'd go first to the, the synagogue and then to uh, the Gentiles in the city. And so we get this, we're introduced to this idea of people living outside of their homeland, even in Scripture, and that term has been co-opted by anthropologists to talk really about any group of people that lives, well, anywhere in the world other than where they were born. Uh, that is a real phenomenon, uh, kind of in, I don't know, the state of things in the world right now. We've got so many people that are that are really migrants today. Sure. And I would point out, like you said, I mean, this is a biblical term because there were diaspora people back in the Bible. There's always been diaspora people. Like things, things happen in people's countries that drive them to other places. Refugee status, uh, there's political unrest, there's all kinds of reasons that people can move. But really and truly in the last, uh, I don't, I'm not even going to put a timeline to it, um, but, but recently we've seen this kind of drastic movement of, uh, around the globe. And, and for lots of various reasons, right? So we've got people who are moving for education in droves. Uh, they're considered temporary immigrants for the most part, but many of them come here, they study, or they come, they go somewhere that's not their homeland, uh, and study, and then they just they get a job, they marry somebody, that whatever reason they stay where they are, which is not where they were born, and so you end up having people who are who do that. You have people who move for their jobs. They 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 think they have a better opportunity if they leave and go to another country. Uh, you have people who. Um, have to leave because of, again, political unrest, civil unrest, uh, war, um, famine. I mean, there's all kinds of reasons that people are moving right now. And it's created these these droves of folks who would be considered in, in the diaspora. Yeah, that's exactly right. So we are presently living at a time where there are more people migrating from one country to another than any point in recorded history. It's crazy. So think about that for just a minute. As long as we've been writing things down on paper or something like it, there has never been a point in human history where there is many people leaving the country where they were born and moving to another country as is presently. Uh, I'm, we don't want to bore you with stats, but I'm going to do it for just a second. So there are roughly, and these are real rough numbers, about 250 or so what we would call global migrants or people living in some country that's not the one they were born in. Of those 250 million, which would be like the fourth largest country in the world, by the way, of those 250 million people, about half of them live in just one of 10 countries. So of all the places in the world where they could land, there are 10 countries that are specific receivers of global migration. Are you going to tell us what those are? Not all 10, but we're going to talk about one of them. So of that 10... One gets half of that number. So we're talking 50 to 60 million at this point. Migrants. One country gets that many. It's far and away the biggest receptor country for global migration in the world. And I'll give you one guess, Anna, as to which one that it, that country is. The United States. You got it. That's exactly right. So when we start having conversations about the diaspora, and we start having conversations about migration, 
uh, we've got to realize that there is something clearly at play when it comes to this topic that is going to impact and affect the way we do local church ministry. We're not just talking international missions where we're sending people overseas. Uh, We're talking the way we do ministry in our churches here in our metro areas and even out in increasingly in in kind of some of our rural areas and our our smaller cities. This issue is kind of an everywhere issue now, and so it changes the way that we need to think about engagement in missions here. Um, the scriptures, they, they tell us uh, in one spot, this, I tend to bring this verse up when we talk about this issue. So Paul in Acts 17, he's, he's at Mars Hill, right? And he's giving his sermon there to the Athenians, and he's just deeply disturbed by their idols and starts having a, a conversation with them about who God is. And he says there in his sermon that it's God who determines seasons and boundaries of man's dwelling, right? So when and where people live. And so regardless of whatever the reasons are, you mentioned all those reasons, Anna, that, that since, you know, education, better life, somebody may be fleeing persecution, whatever the reasons are, there's all these little R reasons, there's kind of a big R reason. God is ultimately behind the movements of humanity. And the fascinating thing about Paul's sermon there is he, he doesn't stop by just telling us that God is in charge of all of that, that he's sovereign over when and where people live. It says that he does it for a reason. There's a purpose clause in there. It says, so that they might perhaps seek God. I think, regardless of where we land on political topics about immigration, there's something the church has to understand uh, by the fact that behind everything, God has a big R reason for what he's doing, and it's so that people might perhaps find him. Because uh, he's not far from any of us, it says there. And so Amen. we have got to figure out how to engage in that. And so that's what Anna and I want to do for the remainder of our time today is perhaps convince some of you that it is now time for our regular old local church members to have cross-cultural evangelism competencies. Now that may sound like a big feat, but we want to say to you today, we think it's actually quite possible to do. Sure. So, Anna, talk to me just a bit as somebody who has served overseas as a missionary. You find yourself here and you're in a local church. Um, what has been your experiences uh, talking to people about this issue, thinking through how best to engage in uh, the topic? How would you frame this if you were going to help somebody cast a vision for this in their church, perhaps? Sure. I think the first thing I would say to people is, is don't be afraid. Hmm. I think that's a very important piece. And I, and I think the reason we cannot be afraid is exactly what you just said. God is sovereign over this time, and he's sovereign in who your neighbor is, and he's sovereign in, in who's in your city. And so you can trust that he's maybe preparing. Um, I like to always say, you know, in Ephesians, it talks about God prepares good works in advance for us to do. And because I believe that God wants us to know him and make him known, I think some of those good works are evangelism opportunities. And, uh, and so therefore, like you can trust that God is preparing good works for you to do and that some of those good works might be a cross-cultural evangelistic encounter. And so don't be afraid. Um, and also just recognize the Holy Spirit goes before us. And so he is working in the lives and hearts of the people that we might look at and say, these people are very different and I don't know how to do this. You have someone who's helping you. And don't forget that. So that'd be number one for me. Like, make sure you're not afraid. Number two is I would just say learn multiple tools 
take time to, to actually like think through how would I share the gospel with a Muslim? How would I share the gospel with a Hindu? Uh, how would I share the gospel with somebody who's animistic? Um, and sometimes that can be like actually doing an evangelism training. Sometimes that can just be, what do I think some stories in the Bible are that r- might resonate mm. with people from different cultures? Yeah. I'm a big advocate for learning Bible stories. When you get into other cultures, they tend to be um, a little bit easier of an entry point, I think, for everybody involved. Um, and, and many, many cultures love stories, and they love being able to hear stories about our faith, even though even if they don't believe what we believe, they like to hear stories about our faith. And so become conversant in the gospel, become conversant in Bible stories, I think are both really important pieces of this mission. And then I would also say, and I think this is hard for Americans sometimes, we have to learn how to practice hospitality and we have to learn how to receive hospitality. Okay. And what I mean by that is sometimes Americans, uh, and, and I struggle with this sometimes too, my home becomes my fortress and I don't really want to invite people into my home. Uh, because it's, I've had a long day at work. I've had all these things that that, I, that have been hard. I have family time that I want to be able to spend with my family, and and those are all like okay reasons to to maybe to maybe not always do this, but one day a month, like start asking the question: What would it look like for me to practice hospitality one day a month? Um, and then on the flip side of it, ask the question. How am I going to be okay if somebody asks me into their home and I'm going to have to eat food that's different than my food and I'm not sure how if I'm going to like it? How am I going to approach that? And there really comes a, a posture. Like with that, you have to develop a posture of being open to things that are different than you. Um, you have to develop a posture of, of thankfulness in the midst of even when you're uncomfortable um, and just being being a little adventurous, I like to say. So learn how to practice hospitality, learn how to receive hospitality. I think that both of those are are really important. Um, and then just be a learner. I mean, we, you and I have talked about this mm-hmm. a lot. We've got to learn that we don't have all the answers and we are going to make mistakes. Um, I actually say this to people all the time. You will mess up. So it's not it's not if I mess up, it's you will mess up. That's right. Um, but love co- covers a multitude of, of sins. And yeah. so <laughs> if people know that you love them, they're willing to um, they're willing to maybe overlook some of those things that are just cultural faux pas. Now, I just mentioned a word, Keelan, that I want you to have to expound on a little bit. Here's my missions uh, pop quiz for you. What is culture? What is culture? Yeah. Yeah. OK, so. Oh boy, that's a that's a fun one to unwind, isn't it? But it's really important for this conversation. So let's let's have a let's let's have a talk about that, right? So in general, I think when it comes to this conversation, we could get into a fun little academic conversation over here about what is culture and come up with a bunch of definitions. I don't think that's a help for us. No. What I do think is a help for us is realizing that culture is essentially uh, it's the uh, the the term that's often used is an artifact, right? So it's the thing that is produced. Uh, that tends to reveal what's kind of buried down in somebody's worldview often. And so I tend to talk about culture, actually, Anna, when I have this conversation with people um, for cross-cultural evangelism purposes, as though it's like an iceberg. Now, it's a rough analogy. Sure. But if you think about an iceberg, it's got a top, a little top, and a big bottom underneath the, the water, right? And so you've got this spot above the surface that you can see, and then you've got all this stuff down below it that you can't really see, but it's what's supporting and holding up the rest of that iceberg, right? So culture works a lot like that, in my opinion. You've got explicit aspects of culture, 
And then you've got implicit aspects of culture. The explicit stuff is all the things that we can see on the surface. If I'm walking through the grocery store and I see a lady in a hijab, or we're walking by somebody eating something on the side of the road or like at a restaurant or something, and we look down and we see that plate of food and it's some kind of ethnic food from somewhere that we've never seen before. That's an explicit piece of culture. Or we overhear somebody at Walmart speaking a language that we've never heard. That's explicit culture. Uh, you can see it and you can use it often to identify who a people are uh, without, without really digging any deeper than that. Sure. Um, however... That's actually just the small surface, the margin of what culture is really doing for us. There's all this stuff under the surface that's also cultural that we, we very often don't see and realize is there. And the funny thing is we tend to think the explicit stuff, the stuff that's out, on, out in front and very easy to see, are the most important pieces of culture. But I'm convinced it's actually the reverse. It's those implicit things about, say, how your family is structured, uh, what you think about how to do finances or conflict resolution. Uh, those kind of pieces are implicit. They're not sitting there on the surface, but they profoundly impact how you live life. And those aspects of culture, it takes a little bit of analysis to understand some of those kind of things. But they also run real hard toward how we would think about sharing the gospel with people. And so I often try to tell people in this conversation, culture's like an iceberg. There's pieces of it that are easy to see. There's all this stuff under the surface. And so your job going in to do cross-cultural ministry is becoming a, a learner of the culture for the people that you're trying to engage. Uh, and that, I think, is not as hard as it sounds. So to that point, I've got things I'd suggest. I'd, I'd be interested in hearing, Anna, what you might suggest about easy ways to become a, a cultural learner uh, with, say, your neighbor that's from somewhere completely different. Uh, have you got some particular go-to things that you'd suggest there? One thing that I just want to bring up, you mentioned conflict resolution. Yeah. When we get into these cross-cultural evangelism encounters, or even just trying to build a relationship with somebody who's different than us, um, we can tend to have a lot of cultural misunderstanding, mm. which is one of the reasons that most people are, I think, a little afraid of some of these conversations. Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, we don't want to, We don't know how to navigate them, and, and that's hard. And so this conversation is really helpful. But what I want to make sure I, I, I say is anytime you're going into a cross-cultural setting and you don't feel like you have a lot of tools, one of the things that I would say, Always, always, always assume misunderstanding, not offense. Mm, um, that's a great word. It, it's, it's amazing how many times we have an issue because we've misunderstood or they've misunderstood us. And we just assume I'm offended or they're offended and I'm, we just can't move forward. But if you'll assume misunderstanding and seek understanding, that's yeah. actually very helpful. I tell this to people all the time. Uh, there was a, a story when I was in South Asia, I was working with a girl. Uh, we were very good friends, and we would have the conversation, and she would always say, Anna, come over anytime. And I, through my American mind, would filter that as, come over when I invite you and give you a time and a date. Right. She actually meant, Anna, come over anytime. But I could not hear that because in, in my mind, the only way you filter that is, that's a pleasantry that then needs some time and date added to it, right? Absolutely. And so we go, I mean, like weeks, and both sides are incredibly frustrated at the other side because I think she has no follow-through. 
and she thinks that I don't actually want to come over. Right. And so <laughs> we finally have this moment where it comes out that we're actually interpreting that very simple statement of come over anytime very differently. Yeah. And once we could get past that, we actually had a great friendship. But it took us weeks of misunderstanding to get there. Okay. Yeah, no, that's oh, Anna, that's such a great like if there's kind of like a thing to land on, assume misunderstanding not offense. I think that's I think that's right. Um so uh, one of the things that I find it's daunting for people to lean into this. You you've brought that up already, right? Yep. And so I feel like sometimes we do this and I feel like I did this or kind of early on when I first got back to the states and you might have done this as well. People who have been missionaries have a tendency to, right? Like you come back and you talk about all those like man if if you shake, you know, somebody's hand with the wrong hand, you may like burn our entry into that village for forever kind of thing when you're training a short-term team. And you you almost scare people into the idea that there's all this, there's this barrier of unknown between me and ever actually being able to have meaningful conversation with this person. And until I become some form of cultural expert, I can't engage in the work. And I think we've got to flip the script on that one, right? Sure. And help people understand, you know, you don't have to be an expert to start, but by starting, if you do it well, you actually eventually become an expert in it. That's how we become experts in a culture is we just kind of lean in and we start understanding and we start learning. And so we don't approach it as an expert. We approach it as a learner. And that was what I was going to say uh, just now. You have to go in as a learner. You cannot be an expert in every culture. Right. And so we can't go in assuming we have all the answers. And it actually helps us to become just better missionaries um, if we will say, I'm going to take the stance of a learner. I'm going to learn how to ask good questions. I'm going to ask why, why they do certain things or, um, or, or what does that mean to you, things like that. And then recognize there's, there's some things that unite us as humans. Mm. There are, uh, even when we have significant differences, there are things that unite us as humans. Uh, we all have families. The family may look different, but we all have families. Um, we all have... Uh, most most people are searching for some kind of meaning, um, whatever that meaning looks like, and and so being able to ask questions about that co- kind of common some common human experiences, mm-hmm. um, and I think you have some some um, what do you call them the five F's? Yeah, I would love yeah. to hear you kind of go into those for a minute. Yeah, so I tend to talk to people about the five F's of culture. Uh, where do you start having these conversations? Right, uh, food, family, faith, finances, and fun or festivals. So food, family, finances, faith, fun, or festivals. Can I add one to yours? Uh, sure. I always talk about I, – I introduce your stuff in my class because I think it's yeah. really helpful. Um, I actually add fears as well. Oh, that's a good one. I've had people add future as well. Future's good, So yeah. there's all kinds of Fs out there. These are not like <laughs> – it's not just five. But you've got these five, uh, and there's, all, there's a whole host of questions around each of those ideas. But they each get at an aspect of culture that I think help us become a learner. So talk to people about their food. Talk to people about their festivals or what they do for fun. Uh, yes, of course, talk to people about their faith. That's going to lead to gospel conversations. And let me, let me jump in right there. Sure. Uh, Americans tend to not want to talk about their faith. Right. A lot of other cultures, it, it's a fair game topic. They love talking about their faith. They love hearing about your faith. Mm-hmm. And so don't be as afraid to, to jump into a conversation about faith. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. So take those questions, take those categories, and start developing a skill set for just being inquisitive. And if you're inquisitive with an eye to, toward learning about others, you're going to find that 
uh, oftentimes your your neighbor who's from a different culture than you, who's from a different place than you, will lean into that kind of moment. Uh, so what I want to do at this point, I'm going to challenge everybody that's listening, uh, and then we're going we're gonna to go ahead and land the plane here on it. Uh, here's my challenge to you. Uh, if you're a leader in a church or if you're just a faithful member in a church, uh, encourage the rest of your church to open their eyes. Look around you. The nations are here. Even if you think you're in an area where, wow, well, they're not to us yet. We don't live in New York. We don't live in Houston. We don't live in L.A. Uh, that's not true. I mean, it may be true that you don't live in Houston or L.A. It's not true that they're not here. Uh, people are settling from all over the world, all over the place. And so you need to open your eyes and look for them. And then... Cuban, before you go on, go can, I, can I add, jump in right there? Sure. So just to give you an example of, of what you just said, my family is from small town Texas. Yeah. Uh, out in the middle of nowhere, sure. small town Texas. My mother walked into the mall one day and realized that there was a Muslim man selling cell phones. There you go. And she made it her goal to get to know this Muslim man. Excellent. And small town Texas, he knew he, he knew no one. Sure. And he actually said to her, "You're one of the few people who's come over like to get to get to know me for me." Right. And he came to Easter with us. He came to uh, Christmas with us. He wouldn't always come to like a church service, but he would yep. be in our home. Um, because my my family made it a, uh, made it an emphasis that they were going to go and and bring this man into the home to be able to to talk to him about Jesus. Anna, that's that's the challenge. That's exactly what I was getting ready to say. Is everybody needs to open their eyes, and as they open their eyes, become a learner. When you see those opportunities, lean in, become curious, uh, become inquisitive, and get to know your new neighbor. And as you do so, pray for those opportunities that God would reveal for you to be able to share with them the only name under heaven that saves. Uh, thanks so much for joining us this week. We really appreciate you all being here. Uh, I hope that this was helpful. Anna, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for letting me be a part of it. If you guys found it helpful, please feel free to share this. Uh, of course, you can find us wherever you find your podcasts. Find us on all the social channels. Uh, if you've got any questions or you want to reach out about something, feel free to, to catch us uh, as well uh, by email at cgcs uh, at sebts.edu uh, or hit us up on the social channels. And we hope to follow you and see you there. Uh, until next time, this is The Scent Life.